Welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Banu Behbudi, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Peter Wright, the Senior VP of Professional Services and Upgrades at Gainsight. Peter, welcome. I've been so excited and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Banu. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the chance to come and chat about professional services. Fantastic. You and your team have succeeded to make Gateside a well-known brand synonymous with customer success. That is why I thought I have to have you in this conversation. So it only made sense to invite you to the show and get your perspective on professional services and how service delivery can be positioned to drive customer success. Again, as a leader within Gainside, you're best positioned to provide a lot of insight on this topic. So tell us a little bit more about Gainside, if you can, to start with, and what customer success means to you. And what does it look like when you have the license to be as customer-centric as possible? So at Gainsight, we help businesses build deep and lasting relationships with their customers. Over the last couple of decades, we've moved where the provider had all the power and now customers have all the power. That's a phenomenal thing, but it changes from you sell one time and you walk away and you go sell to the next customer to you're constantly trying to earn their business. So our platform allows you to be hyper customer focused, deliver outcomes and exceptional experiences. The format for customer success or what it means to me or what it means to Gainsight, it's actually pretty simple. It's an equation. We love nerdy things at Gainsight. And so the equation that we use frequently is customer success equals customer experience plus customer outcomes. So the outcome is the measurable impact. Are we actually changing what happens in your business? Can you attribute the good things happening in their business to the fact that they're using you as a vendor? Ideally, all of this is in dollars, right? Some of it might be more qualitative, but ideally they can say, because I use Gainsight or because I use X, Y, and Z software, I'm having a measurable impact on my business. Customer experience is the other part of that equation. What is it like to work with your business? And it's not, do they like you? Are you nice people? Which that's part of it. But it's more importantly, like, is it easy to work with you? Are the order forms simple, right? So this is really all-encompassing customer experience that comes across in every interaction that you have as you work with your vendor. And so if they really love working with you, but they're not getting outcomes, so just half the equation is correct, you get that awful call that every CS leader has gotten, which is, hey, I love your team, amazing to work with you, but we're going to have to churn, <laughs> right? Like we, we've all had that conversation. It's an awful one. The opposite is almost as bad, which is they get a lot of value, but they hate working with you. And so they just kind of stagnate. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to get on stage for you. They're not going to keep working, buying new products. They're not going to upsell into new things. And they just become this like, I can't wait to find a solution that will do this so I can move away. So you kind of this like hidden churn on that side as well. So the ideal is when you're having a wonderful experience and you're also at the same time getting value from the system. That's where net dollar retention comes from. That's where the opportunity comes from. I love it. It seems simple, but a lot of times you hear people talking about customer experience and client experience not together with outcomes, or they talk about outcomes not together. So I love the formula. It's intuitive. It makes sense, but I don't think everyone's caught on. So I think it's very helpful for sure. So how in that context, then how is your team structured so that you can get the absolute best results get your clients to the outcomes and make sure that they have optimal experience. I was working at another company a couple of years ago and I got the phone call and said, Hey, we want you to come to Gainsight. And 
the most compelling thing to me about that was what would professional services look like at the customer success company? It's a super high bar. And trust me, we hear it every single time we miss the bar. You're Gainsight. You should have known better, right? Like It's my least favorite thing we say. But what I love is when people say, hey, from the experience we're having with you, we're going to steal this. Like That's all I care about. Forget MPS, and we'll talk about that more. But all I want to hear is customers want to steal our stuff. And so on that line, I'd hate to say that I can give you the perfect structure or compensation model. I think most PS leaders would probably say the following, which is one, it depends. Two, I can give you lots of bad advice on this as well, because we've all tried lots of different things, but I can share at least what we're doing at Gainsight today. We have organized in the last, we've done it for about two years now, that all of my teams are aligned to a part of the customer journey. So very simply stated, I have a team that is all onboarding. So all products report into the same leadership team for our onboardings. So if you are onboarding with Gainsight, you have the same overall leader. And we're really trying to simplify that methodology. Again, going back to that customer experience part of the equation, it shouldn't be when you buy two of our products that you have two different onboardings. They don't talk to each other. You're chasing down, who's my CSM? What am I supposed to be doing now? It should be a very cohesive experience. And so all of those roles fall into the same leader. And then similarly on my post-live team, they all fall in the same leader. So again, regardless of what product you're using, your technical account manager or your team is providing the same updates in the same format back to you. So you have a very cohesive experience across the board. And that has led to the best, it has its gaps, its nuances. And I hear from ops sometimes like it's inflexible because we want to move people between teams more often. But this has really allowed people to have what I call their major, right? So I'm using a college analogy. My major is onboarding, but I have a minor in TAM and my technical account manager, right? And so they can flex back and forth, but we want them to be specialized in one. We tried again, back to that failed experiment. We had this like overall pool of just technical people. And some of them are really good at onboarding. Some are really good at TAM, but they get put on the wrong projects based on availability. And so pulling them apart, asking people to specialize in one or the other, or one of our different functions has led to a lot of success. And so that's been really meaningful. On the compensation part, we're probably not too dissimilar from most services organizations, so heavily on utilization. So all of our ICs are 80-20 mix, so 80% base, 20% variable. And then within that, 60% of that variable is tied to the utilization. Another 40% is on MBO. So that's essentially the manager's flexibility to say, hey, this quarter, I want you to focus on MPS response rates, or I want you to focus on this. And it lets them change quarter to quarter what we're incentivizing them to. But overall, most of the compensation at the IC level is tied more to the utilization component. That's very helpful. So I know we talked about the customer experience. It seems your structure is basically such that you can have or lead to a seamless experience for the client, right? How does it fit with the outcomes? Because there were two sides of the formula. And so how does that structure help you drive the outcome for the client? I think what it does is it helps everyone be crystal clear on what part of the outcome they're responsible for. So in an onboarding from prior lives, we'd finish onboarding and there was immediate ROI statements we could generate. I was able to place X many calls at an online dialer that I worked at at one point. And so day one, I had ROI metrics. This allows everyone to have 
their own part of the pie that they're responsible for and they're familiar with. So as an example, coming out of onboarding, we have documented in a success plan. Here's the five things I was trying to attempt to accomplish in onboarding. I know exactly what outcomes I'm looking for. We can document that. We can say, okay, I've built these workflows to accomplish A, B, and C. And then CSM, here's exactly what was built, when they're going to accomplish it, et cetera. So it allows that team to be really good at that part of the process of generating what we call against verified outcomes in onboarding, we're kind of responsible for the uh, genesis of them, not for the accomplishment of them, but the identification, benchmarking, and then how we're going to accomplish them. A TAM, though, is very different. A TAM who's engaged with the customer after they go live is then continuing to work with them to actually accomplish them. So they're actively measuring, they're updating success plans, they're working with counterparts in support and CS, et cetera. And they're actually saying, yes, we have accomplished this or customer, you haven't worked on MPS yet. So their job on an outcomes basis is a little bit different. They're actively in the fight in the trenches with the customer, building out those verified outcomes and then feeding them back to the CSM, right? Hey, CSM, guess what? We got a 40% response rate on this MPS score. Make sure you bring it up at the next QBR. So we're the paid spies uh, to help out our CSM team. So customer success managers are are not within your organization? No, they're not. So CS and PS as functions roll into the CCO. So my peer at the company is our VP of customer success. And I'm just curious how that then fits in the having a very unique PS post and pre-delivery and then a CSM. What went into that decision? Why do you think that's best practice? Gainsight, as you might imagine, has been the forebearer of CS for a long time. Not that we invented it, but we maybe helped perfect it, or at least bring it to light, right? And I claim very little personal responsibility for that, but Nick Meta and the community have really been brought forward by that. And so Gainsight has tried on everything for size. And I don't want to say that we've perfected it. I was talking to somebody this last week about 10 years ago, we were trying to make people pay for CS. And I know uh, a lot of companies do charge for CS. And so we, we've tried on lots of things for size. Our current structure is that we want CSMs to be focused on helping adoption and value realization from the system, not for the configuration, not for the day-to-day report building, et cetera. And so keeping that line clearly divided, it allows them to be more strategic and not get pulled into the weeds. So there's lots of resources available at Gainsight, both free and paid to help you with the weeds, but it allows a CSM to maintain this more executive relationship status. And it, again, and, you know, tactically it probably helps us with span of control better because if you're asked to pull in to every single escalation or every single situation, you couldn't handle as many customers. This has allowed them to be very much on the forefront of helping customers achieve value, not chasing tickets, right? And so services and support have been tasked with that. We've kept a really clear delineation from that. I know you and I have discussed this. It's continuous challenge between sales and what drives sales and sales success, their KPIs and compensation structures, and then making sure that there is some synchronization with PS. Otherwise, there's that continuous head banging that happens because there's 
conflict in many organizations. That's unfortunately the structure. So how has Gainsight tried to address that? I know you talked about the compensation plan within services. How do you think that helps address that tension? One interesting anecdote is we have an ongoing, it's not part of your official comp package, but we have an ongoing SPIF program that based on what levers we want to pull that quarter, we pay people on pretty much anything sold on services. So as a teammate on my team, if I identify I'm coming out of onboarding, I say, wow, this customer really could use a TAM. We'll pay them two and a half percent on that TAM. Or you really should buy some more education. So we've enabled the team to act in their own best interest and in the interest of the company to sell more services. Now that said, I like to introduce myself when I meet with our sales team that I'm a reformed salesperson. I started my career in sales, did it for many years, led sales teams. Um, and I found this amazing world of, of customer success and professional services and haven't looked back, but because I've had that skill set, I spent a lot of time working in sales as part of a professional services organization. So they'd bring me onto calls. I'd help represent what services would do. I had some scar tissue from being in the trenches with other customers. So I could be very relatable. And so that has been very beneficial to me personally. And I think for anyone who wants to get into a professional services leadership role, building your ability to sell is probably the top three skills that you can develop. Now that said, one of the things that we've identified at Gainsight is that that is a need across all of our new business. So I have my own sales team that reports into me. They don't report into sales. They have quotas, but I've actually turned them mostly towards selling to existing customers. So about half of all of our bookings comes from existing customers buying services, renewing their TAMs, buying education, et cetera. But I have all of our net new business is actually covered by a handful. Uh, we call them regional engagement managers. And this is a team of former project managers who I've said, you need to start helping sales. And so they're full-time dedicated to selling. And their job is just go in, drive confidence, put together SOWs, scope and size things. And sales teams loves them. They hated it when I used to give them another salesperson because they were salespeople. They don't need another person in there negotiating. But to have somebody who can say, hey, I saw this exact same problem at another customer two weeks ago. This is what happened. This is how we solved it. And it, that confidence has done wonders for our ability to sell more services, bigger services with our customers. And then also, because they know what questions that the team's about to ask them, they ask those questions up front and they're the human overlay. They're the warm blanket around the sales to service handoff that they can go in and they participate in the opening stages of any onboarding as well. They're the consistent face across it. We're capturing everything in Salesforce and Gainsight, et cetera. But there's a human being who had the conversations that can say, oh, what they meant by that was A, B, and C. And so there's actually a team whose job it is to be that point of connection or connectivity between the two. And that's done wonders for us. The sales team wants me to give them five more of them, but we can't quite afford that yet. It's been a really good experience this last year. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because we have a similar setup at Cantata. I'm part of the advisory group and that's exactly what the role of the advisory team is. The majority of us have some context of sales, but also are experts at what we do. So I think adding that to the sales process, but then also the handoff just, I think, adds a level of confidence and credibility to the process for your client. It makes them feel 
confident and comfortable that they're at home and they will be advised right from the beginning when they're in the sales cycle. So I agree. It's a very good approach. And interesting to me over the years and doing this role personally and then seeing it is you get this weird like third party benefit of the doubt because you're not a salesperson. So the customer turns to you and says, well, Peter or Mr. R.E.M., is this true? Is Can I really be onboarded in this? Ma- and yeah, you can. Okay. You said I'm good. So <laughs> you get this credibility just for not being a salesperson. And so that has been really, really impactful and really beneficial to our sales cycles. All of that said, obviously you can't continuously improve and it looks like you are always looking for improving and optimizing your processes and structure and compensation plan. But then you've got to have sort of a scorecard or measurement set of KPIs that you're measuring your services and delivery by. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think we're all looking for what are some of the best ways to have your pulse on the business and be able to proactively respond to sort of challenges and issues? We measure probably what you'd expect of any semi-mature, mature professional services organization to be measuring. So effective rate, gross margins, contribution margins, utilization, productive, et cetera. And so the challenge all PS leaders have is how do I equate that to value back to the business? As a company, I want people to value my impact. And sometimes it's like, Yep, you did your SOW check, you did this, that, or the other. And it feels very transactional. The service is just there to get people stood up and then they should be off and on the next customer. And so it's like, well, how do I prove that what we did not just was a financially viable way of onboarding a customer, but more importantly, is leading to some increase for the company? And so one interesting anecdote and something that we measure here at Gainsight is I joined the company about five years ago and we didn't have any post live services. We'd run into them on accident and offer them. At that point in time, 17% of all of our utilization, not our billable utilization, was free work. So again, it's only ever happened at Gatesite. No other customers ever had this happen, which is, hey, services, can you come in and fix this customer? <laughs> Every services leader has had that question. And we were saying yes and yes and yes and yes. Again, 17% of all of our team's time was spent on free work. And so we introduced the TAM, the TAM model, the technical account manager is, would the customer be willing to save themselves? Would they be willing to pay? And as we were mentioning earlier on the compensation side, we said, and CSMs, We'll give you two and a half percent of anything you sell. Well, surprise, surprise, quarter one, we sold $700,000 in TAM. And by the end of the first year, we were down to 2% of our work was free. Now, we're at about 7% this year. So we, we kind of fluctuate back and forth. But this ability to measure the impact that the TAM could have became really critical because it's like, okay, From a services perspective, it was a great impact. We lowered our free work and generate a lot of revenue, but is it the right thing to do for the company? So what we did is we went back and looked at it and said, for companies that have purchased a TAM, and again, these were primarily safe plays, customers who were saying, if someone doesn't fix this for me, I'm going to go elsewhere. What is the impact to GRR? What is the impact that our paid services are having? And this has been consistent now for almost five years. A customer who buys a TAM, so I correlation, causation. I'm not good enough to math to know which one it's going to be. But a customer who has a TAM is 19 points higher GRR than one without. So now I can use that to leverage back to operational processes of every customer should have a TAM. So what do we do on a procedural part to get other people 
selling it, et cetera. So by moving it from the abstract of effective rates and utilization and bookings to go back to the CS organization, the company at large and say, hey, you should be advocating to sell more services into your customer base because you'll have a higher GRR. Your job will be easier. <laughs> your customer will get more value out of Gainsight if they're buying this offering. That's been something really useful to track and is measuring the value of our services beyond to what it means for Gainsight, but also to what it means to our customers. That's been really meaningful. I'm curious, is training part of your organization and which part of that organization does training fit in? So training is under my remit overall. I have the onboarding, uh, we call managed services, which is all post-live education, operations, and sales. That education is a standalone business group within it. And it's the free training in addition to paid. This can be a small group, one to many. It can be a custom training just for the customer as well. To finish up our conversation, I know training and education is a topic of its own, but just briefly, just to understand your perspective on the role that training free to some extent and then custom training, but let's say the value that you get from providing a certain level of free training to enable your clients and how downstream that impact can be, would be interested in your perspective on that. It's hard to quantify the impact of education, but it's so meaningful when you're able to, because it's one of those things that as a SaaS company, we know that the more that people understand how to leverage our product, the more adoption there's going to be and the sickier they're going to be. We have a whole team as part of our education team that everything that they put out is free, all asynchronous training, webinars, certifications, et cetera. The certification itself is paid, but all the enablement to get certified is completely free. And what we found is there's a very high correlation between how certified you are and then Gainsight does an admin NPS on a regular basis. And the more certified you are, the higher your NPS is and by a, a pretty significant number. I think it's about 30 points higher. So what we're finding is by giving people and enabling them, again, my life, my world, my brain operates in gross margins and profitability. And so a couple of years ago, inheriting a completely free part for education was just like, well, is that going to be a drag on margins, et cetera? And we found enough ways to get paid offerings out there for people who want more, who want to go deeper, et cetera. But to give enough away for free, give, give everything away for free pretty much in order to secure renewals. And that's the beauty. What I love about being in a PS org part of a SaaS company is that there's a higher goal than just revenue, right? Or profitability. It's my goal is to make the customer stickier and happy so that they are buying more, renewing, et cetera. And the cost of getting a new customer is significantly higher than retaining it, right? So I totally agree. Switching gears a bit, I always like to bring it to a personal level. So wanted to finish off by asking you, what is it that you're reading or recommendation? Because I love reading and I actually uh, look forward to hearing what people's recommendations are. One I've really enjoyed recently, and it's called Moments That Matter by Chip and Dan Heath. And it's this concept, and it, it's a book with some really great explanations and, and tactical approaches, but it's this belief that you can build peak moments. And a peak moment is a, a moment that you'll never forget. And so you can do that for your friends, your family, your employees, and I think for the context of this discussion, for our customers. And you know, one of the anecdotes in there is that if you ask people about their college experience, mostly 
everything people remember is for the month of September. <laughs> you really just remember your transitions like, or your graduation, right? But you don't remember what happened October of your junior year. You remember your freshman year and you, know, you moved into the dorms. And so take that to our world. It's Customers are really going to remember these transition points coming into onboarding, leaving onboarding. The other interesting research is that people mostly forget about most things. So it's actually more beneficial to build peaks than to fix potholes. <laughs> and I love that saying because it's focus on the things that are going to remember and don't worry so much about the little things. Again, you have a big gaping hole in the road. You're going to notice that. But if you actually spend more of your time building these peak moments. And so at Gainsight, we have a live DJ at most of our launches. They're literally a guy spinning records, people dancing, companies make music videos. We send them swag because They'll remember that. They might not remember the UA test script was in a format they couldn't, you know, whatever happens to be. They're going to forget most of that, but they're going to remember this launch party or they're going to remember this amazing kickoff call. And so I really love this book. Great, great way. And it's very tactical. How do you build these peak moments? What matters in the effort to build them? Fantastic. Thanks, Peter. And it's been a great conversation. There's so much more to discuss, but our time is up for this round. But I would love to invite you to join me for part two of the conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Bonnie. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Join us for the next episode to get more insights from Peter and all the amazing things Gainsight is doing to revolutionize customer success. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.